0: Good morning. morning. Palm Sunday. We just got through singing a song. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I can't think of another story in all of the Bible that models for us how big and powerful God is how His will is often different than what we think should happen. And yet, Jesus said, hey, not my will, but yours. He was so close to God the Father, and He knew some of the things that were going to happen to Him this week you know, I'm not sure where every one of you are at. Maybe you've had a really hard week. Maybe it's been a hard month for you. And it's been hard to even understand if God loves you and God is walking with you. Why do you have to go through some of this stuff? God, can I trust you with the disappointments in my life? You know, we gather here every Sunday, not only on Palm Sunday, but every Sunday in order to worship our God. Because most of us need, well, recalibration. We need to be able to understand a little bit better on who God is so that we might be able to not only, well, exist, but actually thrive, function well. You know, it's our practice each week to open up God's Word. We've been spending time, really over the last five months, in the Gospel of John. And we're going to still stay there, but although last week we looked in John chapter 8, you can begin to open your Bibles or your flat screens to John chapter 12. Leaping ahead. We'll come back again someday. But today we're going to be going into John chapter 12. Let me just give you a little bit of background on John. John was an apostle. He was a fisherman. He was a rugged fisherman who flat out loved Jesus. He spent three years with him. He saw him do his miracles. He recognized that he was Savior, that he was Messiah, and he loved his Lord. Well, after a whole long life, of leadership and beginning some of the churches in Asia, he got near the end of his life. And at the end of his life, he decided, I've got to write the Gospel of John. There's been three other Gospels already written, but, you know, I'd like to give just a little bit different perspective. I I remember like it was yesterday who Jesus is and what he did And so I'm going to write it down. There are 21 chapters in John, if you you look at the big picture. And if you're newer to our fellowship today, we've got booklets out in our lobby. And I'd love for you to be able to take the Gospel of John, be able to take it home and just read through it. And then maybe even give it away to someone else. But the first 11 chapters in John focuses on the three-year ministry of Jesus. And then chapter 12, where we're in today, literally, it takes less than a week, if you look at this. And then from John 13 to 20, it focuses on three days of Jesus' life. So we really are coming to the close of Christ's ministry in earthly life. We find out at this time in John chapter 12 that Jesus was actually at the height of his popularity. People literally flocked to get a glimpse, to hear a word, to see a miracle. Crowds were exceptionally jacked because of, well, the Lazarus thing. Say, Rick, what's the Lazarus thing? Well, in John chapter 11, something amazing happened. And you can read about this later, but I'll give you just a real quick look. Um, Lazarus was a good buddy of Jesus. He got really, really sick. And it looked like in John chapter 11 that Jesus was taking his time. Well, in fact, he was taking his time. And Lazarus died. And he finally got to Bethany. He finally saw his two sisters, Mary and Martha. And, and they were just so upset and said, Jesus, Jesus, why didn't you come? I, I mean, if you could have just come, my brother would still be alive today. And Jesus looked at the sisters and said, Oh my, wait till you see what I've come to do. And he called Lazarus out of the tomb after four days of being dead, which I guess the body stinketh at that time. I've not been around a body that has not been embalmed uh, for four days, but, but I'm going to take their word for it. And they were afraid to open up that rock, look into that tomb. <laughs> no kidding. By Jesus' very words, Lazarus, the mummy, comes walking out. Now again, near the end of his life, Jesus was already a miracle worker. Jesus was already touching the blind and they could see. Touching the deaf and they could hear. Touching the lame and they could walk. He had already raised different folks from the dead. But this one was cool. They they knew without a doubt that this Jesus was pretty special. So the word spread like crazy. Lazarus. Lazarus was the dead dude. And Jesus gave him life. So, people were talking. And it was time, at least in John chapter 12, for the feast of the Passover to begin. Now Passover, at least to Hebrews or Jewish people, it's one of the big festivals. We call it one of the biggies. And just about everybody who was Jewish, a practicing Jew, would go into Jerusalem at this time and celebrate the Feast of Passover. And again, many of you remember, it's the time where the Jews would honor their God for his faithfulness. And it happened way, way, way back, hundreds of years before, when um, the Jews were slaves. And God had used Moses in a way to put some blood over some mantles, over the doorposts. And anyone who did that, well, the angel of death passed over. And so that's where the term Passover comes. So, so every year they would celebrate God's faithfulness and His salvation and His provision for them. So again, they, they, was, they were excited. But just as other feasts, as we read in the Scriptures, folks came to Jerusalem wondering if Jesus would be there. Now yes, it was good to celebrate the Passover, but if you could come... And see, Jesus, maybe he would do some more feeding. Maybe he would do some more healing. I mean, again, there's no internet. There's no TV. There's no big stages and programs. But this guy's reputation went bonkers. Well, Jesus did show up. And the people of Jerusalem were ready I'm going to ask Gary to read our text for today. He's going to read from John chapter 12, starting at verse 12, going to verse 36. Gary.
1: The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, They remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, There's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. Some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. They said, Sir, we want to meet Jesus. Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. Jesus replied, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care for nothing, care nothing for their life in this world, will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me, because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. Then a voice spoke from heaven, saying, I have already brought glory to my name, and I will do so again. When the crowd heard the voice, some thought it was thunder, while others declared an angel had spoken to him. Then Jesus told them, The voice was for your benefit, not mine. The time for judging this world has come, when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this to indicate how he was going to die. The crowd responded, We understood from Scripture that the Messiah would live forever. How can you say the Son of Man will die? Just who is this Son of Man anyway? Jesus replied, My light will shine for you just a little longer. Walk in the light while you can, so the darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in the darkness cannot see where they are going. Put your trust in the light while there is still time. Then you will become children of the light. After saying these things, Jesus went away and was hidden from them. Thank you, Gary. God
0: so loved the world. He loved the world with a love that's hard to explain, Yet the world rebelled, and we sinned, and it separated us. But God loved the world so much that he had a plan, a redemption plan, a plan that would restore all of our relationships if you wanted it. And at just the right time, He would send His Son, Jesus, to pay our debt and restore the broken relationship that each one of us have. Jesus was given a mission. He was undeterred in accomplishing His Father's plan. Let's dig in and find out why Jesus was so focused, so undeterred in his obedience and undeterred in his mission that God has given him. But let's pray. Father, once again, we come before you and just asking you to open our eyes. We know, Lord, that as we look at your word, And try to understand even what you went through while you were on this planet. There's so many things that jump out to us. Lord, we would ask that you would teach us today. That you would help us understand a little more who you are. That we would understand a little bit more of what maybe our mission might be here on this planet. We know, God, that there are all kinds of churches in our area that are preaching and teaching your word. We pray today that even this day that, that your word would go out powerfully, that you would use the teachers to change lives here, in this state, in this country, and all over the world. We are so grateful, God, for the way that you care. Open our eyes today. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Jesus Christ's obedience actually fulfilled prophecy. You see, Jesus again, as I shared, had just been visiting with his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He was headed into Jerusalem, and this time he accepted the people's praise. When he came in this time... He didn't stop them. He received it. He was the rightful king of Israel. He was entitled to the crowd's praise. And he was fulfilling prophecy. Zechariah the prophet prophesied about King Jesus about 500 years before this event. In Zechariah 9.9, he writes, Rejoice, O people of Zion! Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem! Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Wow. The king of kings, The creator of all, the son of God, came riding in as a humble servant king. Not as a conquering warrior king. He rode a donkey's colt. He did not come on a white horse, a fine steed, or in a chariot, as many generals and kings would do. He did not come to conquer Rome. He came to conquer sin. The Jews wanted a king to use his power to bring peace and to restore dignity. Remember, during the time of, of that Rome was ruling, oh, they treated their subjects so very, very poorly. All these people loved how Jesus provided food. They didn't have to work for it. How they could bring the sick to Jesus and he could heal them. And they really loved when he stuck it to the religious. You know, those guys that put such big burdens on them. Oh, Jesus seemed to outsmart them every time. He was the guy. The crowds were there because of Lazarus. They had heard. Maybe again he would raise someone else from the dead. Maybe there would be this gigantic miracle and so when he came into the city, they put palm branches down, and they worshipped him as king. Yet Jesus was undeterred by the crowd's temporary adoration, or, or adoration and accolades. He knew his father's plans, and his father's plans did not include him becoming king. Well, the way they thought anyway at that time. He knew he was going to take his Father's direction, his Father's pathway. In fact, Jesus Christ's obedience was God's redemption plan. It was God's plan that Jesus would come and restore broken relationships and give life. John tells us, though, in our text that some Greeks, some non-Jews, came to meet Jesus. There were folks all over the world that heard the stories of Jesus, and and some knew where to find him, and, and so these Greeks came. said, whoa, I'm wondering, could we meet Jesus? But as you read in the text, Jesus is focused. He almost ignores these Greeks and passionately begins to plead with the crowds i don't know if you get the feeling as gary read but as this kind of pans out this is one of the last chances jesus has to proclaim himself as messiah as savior he seems to be using different metaphors he seems to be trying Every different type of communication, he can. It's one of his last recorded messages. And he lets everyone know the message actually hasn't changed, but it says, hey, it's my time to bring God glory. It's my time to be able to reflect God to others. That's what bringing glory is. It's my time to magnify God. We all have used a magnifying glass. And as you get older, they're really a lot more important than they used to be. You know, when you're six, you use it to start fires with paper, right? And it's a lot of fun. But then when you maybe get a little older, those words are small, And so you, you know, you get certain glasses or you get magnifiers. And I know all you kids are looking at me going, Rick, that's weird. I don't know what you're talking about. But it happens. And so we need something to help us see better, to make it bigger. And, you know, that's what Jesus did. Jesus made God clearer, bigger for every one of us so we could understand who God was. And he said, it's my time to pay the debt for your sin and my sin. Folks, it's hard to understand. The Scriptures tell us that it's, well, hard to die for someone who is good. But to pay a debt for someone who's a rascal? Someone that doesn't really care much about God? Well, Jesus said at this time, I came to do this. I came to be your king. But it's, well, it's not going to happen like you think. Even though from the very beginning, not only to his disciples, but to all of the crowds, he shared with them that I'm going to die someday. I came here to die. To pay a debt. So he says it again because people actually are understanding it. They're kind of, all, you know, worshiping him as king. And he's trying to say again, yes, I am king. Yes, I am going to accept this. But don't you understand that really this king needs to die? It's time for the Son of Man to return back to his Father. I am going to die. So he uses a metaphor. Again, if you're not uh, a farmer or you don't understand these things, like Rick Wager doesn't, um, I just read about things and I recognize that, hey, there are some things that happen in biology that I don't have a clue about. All right. I mean, you know, you get packages of seeds and they look like dried. I don't even know what they look like. You know, like, this is really going to bring life. Like, like, I'm going to put this in the ground. I'm going to water this thing. I'm going to put it in the sun. And you know what? It's going to end up being a corn plant. Or whatever. A flower. It's going like, seriously? This, this is how this thing works? This dried up old seed? And Jesus just said that. He said, it's going to be like a kernel of wheat. And what happens when you plant this seed? It's going to die. And when it dies unbelievable thing happens there's a humongous harvest there's lots of seeds or lots of wheat he goes that's what's going to happen i'm going to die and it's going to enable an amazing harvest jesus though quickly at that time goes into a teaching moment all right and he says this do what i'm doing In fact, I'm going to do this. I'm giving up my life so that many might live. What I want you to do is give up your life. Do what I'm doing. It's the kingdom way. He said, basically, those who focus on themselves lose out in the end. If your whole focus is you while you're on planet Earth, You might have a really good life, but then it's done. Nothing to look forward to. No investments in any others. And you are done. Those who focus on others live forever. Whoa. Well, actually they don't die. You see, I don't know if you know this, but, but if you ever come to faith, if you ever recognize your sinfulness, and you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior by faith, you are born again. You are a brand new creature. And you will never die again. I mean, your carcass may, you know, eventually quit breathing. But the truth is, is that you will immediately, the, the moment you stop breathing, enter into eternity with our God. What an amazing promise. But he says this, he goes, you want to serve me? And it seems a little awkward, maybe even a little focused on Jesus, but if they really thought he was going to be king, and they wanted him to be king, it was very natural for them to serve their king. So Jesus is just trying to tell them again how to do this. So first of all, if you really want to live, well, I want you to give up your life. If you really want to serve me, then follow me. Do what I ask you to do. The one who serves Jesus must follow him. You know what, as you read through all the Gospels, Jesus, from the very beginning of his ministry, well, was really consistent with this message. My favorite verse to just kind of bring this up is in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And he said this early in his ministry, then calling to the crowd to join, excuse me, then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way take up your cross and follow me. Wow. Again, Jesus was talking about the kingdom. He was trying to help us understand how to get the most out of this life and how to get the most out of the next life. He just simply said this, all you guys, you you think I'm doing great miracles. I give you great teaching. All the things that are going on. But hey, if you want to be a disciple, if you really want to be a follower, all right, you have to think less about yourself and your needs. You need to expect to suffer. The world is a tough place. You're going to make decisions, in fact, kingdom decisions. You're going to spend less money on you. You're going to spend more time with others. And the truth is, your life's going to look really, really different. And lastly, you've got to acknowledge I'm the leader. You've got to follow me. You've got to understand what God's Word has to say and say, you know what, I'm going to do that. I am going to do that. Then I love in verse 27 and 28. And if you have your Bibles, you you can look at that or look back up on the screen. But I love this part because Jesus becomes a verbal processor at this moment. You know, some of us process internally. and, And if you're an internal processor and you married a verbal processor, it drives you crazy. Like, oh, maybe we should make this green. No, let's make it blue. No, I think it's going Like, holy schmoly, make a decision and move forward. You know? But Jesus at this time, whether he always was a verbal processor or not, he was here. And he's teaching in this mode. Then all of a sudden, his humanity shouts. He, he's in the teacher mode. He's recognizing, he's listening to God. He's obeying God. Look at verse 27. He goes, now my soul is deeply troubled. All of a sudden, I think he remembered what this next few days were going to be. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? And honestly, he actually did that all the way through the garden, right? Lord, if, if there's any other way. Like, come on. Is there... Is there any other way? Jesus, by this time, in the first 33 years of his life, had seen many crucifixions. He's heard the screams and the agony. He's seen the cruelty of the Romans. He has. And every once in a while, Lord, are, are you sure, Father? Are you sure? But this is the very reason I came. All of a sudden, truth won. All of a sudden, He was reminded. He goes, no. No, this is why I came. Father, You bring Yourself glory to His name. This is an amazing part. If you mark your Bibles, I would again circle this. I would square this. I would highlight this. Because this teaches me so much about what a God follower does. There are so many times that the Scriptures just don't seem to make sense. Like, really, Lord? I'm supposed to give joyously all this money that I made this week? Don't worry, I'm not taking an offering yet. But, but I, you know, or, or really, Lord? And you look at some of His principles. And you go, Lord? Really? And then all of a sudden I say, you know, it's not about me. It's about bringing yourself glory. It's about listening to you. And I love, I love that John put this in. Because he didn't have to. But I think, again, John wanted each one of us to know that, yeah, Jesus was Messiah and Son of God, but Jesus was also 100% man. I think this shows Christ's humanity the physical and relational pain that was coming. So many of us look down the road and we say, yes, he was scourged and beat, so he didn't even look like a human. That's bad. I get it. But you know what might have been worse? Is for a few moments in time, he would be separated from his dad. Wow. He was so close with his father. The agony or the thought of a moment without God I think was devastating. I think it shows His obedience. Submission in light of the cruelty of the cross. I think it shows His passion for bringing glory to His Father. He desired to listen to his dad and to point people to his dad. And I love that God showed pleasure in Jesus by a voice. Actually, God only talked like this three times at least that we have recorded. But God loves when we obey. You know, there's a verse as I was looking at this that kind of jumped out at me. It was found in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. And the author of Hebrews writes this, speaking of Jesus, because of the joy awaiting Him, wow, He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now He is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. It hit me, because of the joy awaiting Him, not the cross, but what that would bring. You know, at this moment, Jesus is talking. He must have noticed some blank stares. So we are right back to God's redemption plan. And if you look at verse 32, he says this, And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. Maybe a better translation even would be, I will draw all peoples to myself the message was a bit unraveling to the Jew. Remember, a good God-fearing Jew felt like the Messiah was only there for the Jew. Anytime a Greek or a Samaritan would even be included in Christ's message, they would be very upset. But from the very beginning, the Jews were just the spokespeople. They had the blessing. Yes, they received the the message from God, but they were never ever designed to just keep it for themselves. I love in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, speaking again hundreds of years before Jesus, but talking about the Messiah, He says, "...you will do more than restore the people of Israel to Me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you, Jesus..." Messiah will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth for God so loved the world well you know what people are still confused so Jesus changes the metaphor in fact I think he gets desperate in verse 35 Jesus replied my light will shine for you for just a little longer He's getting a little bit higher in his in his speech. Walk in the light while you can, so the darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in darkness cannot see where they are going. Put your trust in the light while there is still time, and you will become children of the light. Whoa! Let's go back to the light. He talked about light even the last time we met in John chapter 8, verse 12. It was a gigantic illustration. And say, you have two choices. You can walk in darkness or you can walk in light. If you have a relationship with me, I am your light. Choose light. Put your trust in the light while there's still time. Become children of the light. Please, folks. You're putting palm branches down. You're worshiping, but you're missing. Choose the light. And then it was at this time, just one verse, the very end. Then Jesus went away. Literally, he was hidden. We don't know when this was during the week. We don't, but my guess is he just really wanted to spend some time with his disciples. We know, again, at least in John 13, that he's having the Last Supper with his disciples at this moment. So at least in the book of John, the Last Supper came very, very closely after this. But he withdrew. He spent some time with his disciples preparing them. As I wrap up, if you were to go home and read verses 37 through 15 you would see that John, at least at this moment, does a little bit of a sidebar. Right after verse 36, he um, does a commentary. He's not focused on Jesus immediately at this moment, but he, he has a verse that I think breaks your heart. John 12, verse 37 Remember, Jesus is pouring out his heart. Jesus is is trying everything he can, changing all the different metaphors. He wants people to respond to him. And John writes this, but despite all of the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most, most, most of the people still Did not believe in him. We look at that, some of us, and and say it's shocking. Look at all the miracles he did. It's true. But you know what? So many of the people back then see God and the church and Jesus almost the same way today. It's okay if you need them, maybe for a wedding or a funeral. Or, hey, you know what, if you need some advice every once in a while, or if you're going in the hospital, whoa, I might call on God. I might seek His face. Maybe I need a miracle. Maybe I got some bad news from the doctor. Oh, maybe, maybe that guy Rick can come and pray for me. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it will. But it's shocking Besides all the miracles. And, and again, if you've been with us, we've been just focusing on some of the amazing things that God has done through His Son, Jesus. But Jesus fusil, uh, uh, fulfilled the Messianic prophecies found in the Old Testament, predicted, predicting, especially the virgin birth, sacrificial death, and the resurrection. Jesus pleaded, with people to believe. And most didn't. I'd like to just close with verse 46. The last, probably verse 44 to the end, it's almost, it almost sounds like Jesus is talking right there, but I think it's really a summary of all of the teachings that Jesus had. And in verse 46... Jesus says this, and I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all those who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. He said it a thousand different ways and he's actually saying it today. At the very end of John, chapter 20, verse 31, John's agenda for everyone is found here. And he just says that, I wrote this whole gospel so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you will have life by the power of His name. As Jesus entered His last week, many people in religious circles call it the Holy Week. And Palm Sunday begins that Holy Week. But Jesus, undeterred, knew what God was asking him to do. And as he was making his way to the cross, he was shouting, he was pleading, he was hoping that people would respond. They would put their faith in the light that they would live in the light rather than darkness. My question to you is this. Do you know this Jesus? If you're newer, love to invite you back as we continue to open up God's Word and learn about this amazing God Of all the truths in the Christian faith the death of Jesus Christ accompanied by His resurrection is the most precious. Had He not died there would be no substitute for sin. There would be no offer of salvation. There would be no salvation and no hope. And without a hope there would be no future. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again as you showed us how to live life. We know, God, that you desire deeply to be part of our lives, but you don't force it. You've shown us what light is, although so many of us choose to live in darkness. You've offered us over and over the bread of life, And we try to get our nourishment from other places. Other situations. You said Lord that you're the only one that can quench our thirst. And yet we try drinking from fountains. That don't provide any quenching of our thirst. Lord we love you. We thank you that you showed us how obeying your dad is not just something we do occasionally, but that it should be a passion. And we thank you for listening so that we might have a hope and a future. We pray these things in your Son's amazing name. Amen.